This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. As we continue our exploration into creativity born of the garden, I share with you today a story and model for creativity coupled with kindness. In July, I had the great pleasure of making a full-day field trip to the Homeless Garden Project in Santa Cruz, California, where for 30 years a team of dedicated citizens and professionals have been putting the diverse lessons and heart of gardening to work to help offset the many challenges of homelessness in our world. John traveled with me, and through the course of the day, we joined morning circle time with the staff and trainees, toured the current garden, full of flowers and fruit and vegetables and fresh air, a stone throw from the ocean. And I had the good fortune to speak with all the people there that day, from longtime trainees to new ones looking into the program. From the volunteer cook who every Tuesday brings the staff and trainees a morning snack and then prepares a hearty lunch for them to share together, to the full-time year-round staff, to CSA shareholders, and you will hear a bit from all of them today. We start off our conversations with Derry Ganshorn, Executive Director of the Homeless Garden Project and with them since 1991. I caught up with Derry for this conversation after my actual day in the field at the project. I started off by asking her to share the mission of the project and tell us a little more about her work there. Our mission is in the soil of our urban farm and garden, people find the tools to build a home in the world. So I work with our board, I work with our staff. I work with an incredible, generous community of volunteers and donors and interested community members who step up in such a wide variety of ways to make our project go. Today, I was at our circle meeting, which is a meeting on the farm. Um, Since we're doing this podcast during the coronavirus, um, we're all socially distanced and wearing masks. Um, And the people who were there were some of our staff and all of our trainees. And we sit in a circle. Our training and education supervisor starts us off with a few minutes of mindfulness. And she asks a question. Today, the question was, what did you accomplish last week? And what is it about the Homes Garden Project that keeps you coming back? And what we do is we go around the circle and each person has an opportunity to answer the question. It's not a conversation. We all listen to each other's answers. Um, There isn't a lot of back and forth. There isn't any back and forth. Um, And it's just a wonderful way to understand, you know, how we're all so different and have such different answers. And yet there's also so much similarity in what we appreciate in um, the way that the farm and the program serves all of us. I also met with a community member and her two sons, all wearing masks, and she's a teacher at the university, and we did sort of a little tape so that she can teach her exchange students about projects like ours in the community, and then they can use that conversation as a way to practice writing skills. And her sons were um, 13 and almost nine, 
and they chimed in with really wonderful questions. As I was leaving the farm, everybody there was getting ready to have lunch. They had all been working on the farm, getting ready for our feed two birds harvest. And they were taking a break for lunch. And then they were going to go back and finish the harvest. The morning dairy just described sounded very similar to the Tuesday I was there. Sunshine, fresh air, people gathering together, finding company, routine, and purpose. As she and I continued our conversation, Derry shared with me her background growing up in Baltimore, being aware of racial and economic disparity while still very young, going off to study at Berkeley for her college years. In time, I asked her what had originally brought her to work at the Homeless Garden Project and what kept her there. You're just feeling like, you know, something was horribly wrong that, you know, here we are, the wealthiest country in the world. And the way that we've set things up creates a situation where a lot of people don't have a place to live. And and I've been thinking a lot about the idea of home and um, really thinking that home has been kind of one of the central themes of my life. And I so value home and the idea of home and my actual home, um, my home community, home and the connection to the land. Derry shared with me a transformational moment while studying at Berkeley. I had the most wonderful mentor, Dr. Paul Licht. And at one point he told me something that I really feel so strongly that everyone should have someone in their life who tells them this at some time. He told me, you know, you can do whatever you want. So my goal was to continue doing research, but I sort of um, took a different path and had a son. And when I had my son, I realized that I did not want to do research anymore, that I really wanted to do something that was going to more directly give back to people and make an impact on people. In 1991, I was doing an internship at the Resource Center for Nonviolence, and I heard about the Homeless Garden Project. I had already um, found the writing of Miles Horton. He wrote a book called Unearthing Seeds of Fire. And he talked about the role of people in making social change when they are not themselves experiencing a social problem. His idea was the most powerful way that someone can be involved is to bring people together who are experiencing a social problem and have them come up with their own solutions. So I was kind of looking for a way at that internship for how to, how to realize that vision. And I heard about the Homeless Garden Project and I felt that it was everything I was looking for. Derry started at the Homeless Garden Project as a volunteer and took on the writing and producing of a newsletter about the project, interviewing the participants who were experiencing homelessness and sharing their voices and stories with the larger community. One person really wanted to get involved, and he wrote this amazing essay. He was just an incredible writer. Uh, His name was Bill Tracy. And he wrote a piece called A Day in the Life of the Homeless Garden Project. He was a Vietnam vet, um, just a natural leader, a very big personality. The newsletter and personal story work showed Derry the power of relationship and listening. I, I learned 
how much people love to talk about their story and almost like a deep need, you know, to be heard and to be validated by being heard about your story. I got to hear how much people valued having an opportunity to contribute in some way to work, you know, to have the structure, to have a purpose. And um, I also got to hear sort of some of the stories of how people became homeless, all of them different, and um, hear people's dreams about what they wanted to do as they moved out of homelessness. Derry goes on to share how the HGP got started initially. Shortly before the beginning of the project, our amazing co-founder, Paul Lee, um, was involved with a group of people starting the first shelter in Santa Cruz County. And um, unbelievably, in the 19, late 80s, there was no shelter in Santa Cruz County. And some people got together and did a hunger strike and said that they were not going to eat again until the county built a shelter. And Paul E. and a group of ministers who called themselves the Citizens Committee for the Homeless, they banded together and found a place, the, the old family saunas shop in Santa Cruz County, and um, put together a shelter. And they would go down and spend the night with the people living in the shelter. Now, Paul um, had a history of starting being involved in the startup of amazing things. He himself um, is a philosopher and a theologian and a gardener. He has the most beautiful garden. Um, He's a writer. He has a great appreciation for herbs. um, And he helped start the farming garden up at the university and brought Alan Chadwick to the university Um, for the initial farm and garden. So picture this man uh, starting the shelter and then spending the night in the shelter. Um, And he said, the story I've been told, that, you know, when he woke up in the morning, there was just this raw energy, like being on the streets of New York. And he wondered, how can anybody ever dream of anything better? when they don't have a sense of safety and when there's no beauty. And he always had an idea to have a garden for people experiencing homelessness. And um, he envisioned it as sanctuary. So after he had this vision, one of his friends called him and said, you know, we have this herb business here and we're going out of business and would you like some truckloads of herb plants and Paul realized this is my homeless garden project and so the homeless garden project was created as a way to help grow and support people beyond the needs of a temporary shelter the first manager and a co-founder with Paul Lee Lynn Cooper in conversation with the earliest participants added the next growth ring to the project. But at some point, Lynn was having circle meeting and asking people, well, here we have this garden. How do we want to use it? Do we want to grow food for people and share the food? Do we want to have people drop in? 
Um, and the people who were there said, what we really want is a job. That's, that's what we need to help us move out of our homelessness. We don't think of ourselves as an advocacy group, you know, advocating for big systemic changes. We don't think of ourselves as trying to solve the whole problem. But I do think that we make a huge impact in the community, both on individual lives of the people who are participants in our program, but also on the larger community. It's a really holistic program. Um, and so the only way really to talk about it is to break it down into its parts. And by doing that, you know, something is lost about the strength and the power of the model that we use. People who feel like, oh, you know, my main interest is in working with the environment. I, I only care about environmental problems. Or people who think, you know, well, I'm mostly interested in social problems and you know, coming to the project, you cannot miss that they're connected. The solutions and the problems are connected. And to combine them both in the project is, is powerful to participate in and difficult to talk about, as you can tell. <laughs> I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. The Homeless Garden Project in Santa Cruz is celebrating 30 years at work in the city and county, helping people experiencing homelessness to find community, stability, and a way forward. We'll be right back for more voices from this creative and compassionate endeavor, a model for other communities to learn a great deal from. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer. One hour is simply not long enough to capture and share all of the information or all of the stories about the Homeless Garden Project. It started as a beautiful decorative herb garden gifted to a homeless shelter in Santa Cruz. Next came an organic strawberry field. And when Derry Gansorn first joined as a volunteer working on the newsletter and sharing the voices of the HGP community with the larger community, the project was already a beautifully functioning micro-community, in Derry's words, growing food for local markets, seeking grants to pay salaries, and pay trainees while they were learning. Derry speaks a lot about structure in our conversation about the Homeless Garden Project, and the symbolic importance of structure is not lost on me. It is simultaneously the form of a physical home, a container for our gardens, a scaffolding on which we build our days, our families, and our lives. The layers of language, such as the denotation and connotation of structure, comes up for me around the importance and how we understand the impact of all of our words, how certain words are phrases when we unpack them or really hear them. For instance, the difference between hearing homeless person versus person experiencing homelessness changes the power and emphasis of this phrase completely. It's never too late to listen and hear our own word choices more clearly. How they confer dignity, respect, equity, versus not doing any of these things. 
How we tend our words is a direct manifestation of how we tend ourselves, our own gardens, and one another. The Homeless Garden Project is modeling structure and structural integrity and how we support, shelter, and hold each other up in the world. We're back now to a special episode sharing with you stories and voices from the Homeless Garden Project in Santa Cruz, California. As we come back, we walk around the project at its current Natural Bridges Farm. We meet and hear the stories of a variety of people. Full-time staff, as well as current trainees experiencing homelessness and involved in the program. We start off with Ella Fleming, the farm manager, who is celebrating her one-year anniversary at the project. Having grown up in Rhode Island, Ella farmed through college and then came west to the University of California, Santa Cruz's Farm and Garden Training Program. After completing the program, she taught there for a while and then worked for a private residential garden firm. As we come back, Ellis sharing how she came to join the Homeless Garden Project. Behind her, you can hear the people, the birds, and the wind of a day on the farm. The farm manager here at the Homeless Garden Project had left, and so they reached out to me um, because I had given a tour to the Homeless Garden Project when I was at UCSC. Um, And it was like, it made a real impact on me. One of the things I was super excited about, in addition to just being in community again, because working in the edible landscaping was pretty, it was just team of one. And so um, that was kind of sad for me because I love farming and love plants, but I also recognized the intersection with community. And so I was super excited to be with people again, doing an impactful work um, because I was farming for billionaires in their backyards. And that was, that was, that's not why I got into farming. Um, though everybody needs a job. So setting out in the next year of work, what are your goals for the farm? Really to just continue to build healthy soil. Um, and we have dug, you'll see that all these beds that you're going to see today are all hand dug. So we're not using any machinery to, um, to cultivate the soil here. That's really important to me, though it does take a lot longer. But I love building healthy soil. That's kind of my background and my passion doing healthy cover crop stands and like adding comp we're getting this amazing compost from an organization called vision recycling and so we've been you know it's just so exciting to get new fresh compost yeah we just got eight yards the other day and it it just like puts makes me sleep better at night as well (laughs) exactly as of this year the hgp has a new permanent site in the historic Poganip Greenbelt property in the heart of Santa Cruz. Through a public-private partnership, this public park parcel, which the voters of Santa Cruz awarded to the project over creating a golf course, will be available later this year following soil tests and planning for possible soil remediation by the Homeless Garden Project. This permanent farm site will triple the job training capacity of the Homeless Garden Project. Ella, who turned 30 this year along with HGP, shares her hopes for the move to the larger permanent site. 
in the midst of this growth transition moving over to the Poganip farm. And so that'll be a really exciting transition to like, yeah, I'm really committed to getting that farm off the ground. And even if we can just put cover crops in or or just one broccoli plant. (laughs) I don't know. I always like to put a positive. So it's exciting that we get to be a part of that and kind of show people, hey, it doesn't matter what has happened to your land before. Um, In some ways, the earth is resilient. And if we have the right practices, the right plants and the right attitude and the right intention and intention that this is going to be a farm and not a golf course is absolutely an awesome uh, uh, yeah an awesome opportunity ella goes on to share some of her favorite aspects of the homeless garden project including flowers and you can hear the flower buckets and chatter of bouquet making behind her I am really passionate about flower production. Not only is it amazing for pollinators and biodiversity, they're so beautiful. And I used to be one of those people who was like, I'm a food grower. And while that is still so important to me, this is also, yeah, food for the soul and like makes an impact. It grabs people's attention. And it's maybe something that will draw people in and say, oh, wow, there's vegetables here, too. It's it's amazing. And and what's really um, special about today is that we, ha- we are going to make 21 bouquets to go to hospice. And we have had, we have an, uh, one of our staff members used to work at hospice. And she said that the bouquet day is like one of the best days at, at hospice because everyone like has the be- like the bouquets come in and then everyone is gets to pick their bouquet and bring it to the room of their loved one and I love that about about Tuesdays. <laughs> Flowers are one of those things that especially for people right I think about it so much right now with COVID people who are stuck in ho- in, in their homes to be able to bring something so w- wild and you know, like beautiful and colorful and something that is a reminder that like, hey, people, the, the world is here for you. Like the, the nature is here for you. The plants are here for you. Like you're supported in, in these moments that are really difficult for you. At least you have these big, beautiful yeah. blossoms in front of you. And yeah. Ella also loves the medicinal properties of flowers and plants and sharing the ways they can be used. That's my passion is talking about like, what can we use this for? Like rosemary is good for strength and like for your lungs and, you know, you can make a tea out of it. And so that's the great part about being in the position that I'm in is it it can just, it can meld to what they, what their interests might be. So if a trainee asks me a question, I say, great, let's talk about this on Wednesday for our farm demo. They can lead the conversation just as much as my agenda. Everyone has so much to, to offer. I think that that's like... There are trainees who come, they have no experience with farming and gardening at all, but they have seen their grandfather grow something. Everyone has some connection to plants and gardening that they didn't even remember until they got here. I think the trainees here have a different intention towards being here, but at the same time, they're, they're, they're witnessing all of these things about themselves and their relationship to plants and to nature. This like totally affirms my being, affirms affirms who I am as a human being, affirms my role in this world. If I can grow a plant or I can be a part of this or I can harvest this or eat this, it connects me. And so if the trainees can get that experience, then like that's that's like a success for me. I've seen people's edges soften and and seen people's tenderness grow and seen their 
humanity and care for each other expand. After speaking with Ella, I catch up with Andrea Del Rio, who joined the team as the training and education supervisor in February. She is a constant touchpoint for each trainee as they make their way through the year of the program. Born and raised in California, Andrea has worked as a small-scale organic farmer around the country and was really drawn to the combination of organic farming, community, and food justice here at the Homeless Garden Project. As we join her, Andrea is sharing her long-term goals for the program from her side of the work. My long-term goals as I see it is definitely to be creating as much stability as possible. Um, and then creating like a really positive supportive atmosphere, showing up, being consistent, and then just essentially treating everyone equally. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's like, and non-judgmentally, without a place of judgment. So you were here working with people who are going through really serious things sometimes, and it's up and down, and it can be a roller coaster. And so just like developing, maintaining that kind of, cons- like, I don't know, like this really base level support system. And from there, I think that like a really strong program can develop where people are able to like regain confidence, regain skills, and then just kind of use HGP as a stepping stone to transition into something that hopefully they feel really good about. Andrea describes the scope of her role. Supervise the trainees, um, handle the attendance and disciplinary process um, is to maintain structure. Um, I take care of the lecture series here at the farm and at the workshop. Um, and then I kind of oversee the social work program, at least scheduling the social workers. I meet with social workers once a week. And then I meet with the director twice a week. A very many hats. <laughs> very many hats, yeah. even on paper. And so then describe for me what it's been like since February. Like, what do you actually do? What do I act- <laughs> all, of all, of all of those things. things yeah. All of those things. And then I think, again, just going back to showing up and having a positive attitude. Yeah. Like, I think that that's like the most important thing I do yeah. is show up every day on time no, and hold people accountable. Andrea believes in the power of individuals to make positive change in their lives. When I ask her if she's hopeful that a program like this can really create change and structure enough to allow these trainees to live their dreams, she responds. Yeah, that's the hope and that's the dream. It's hard. You know, it's, it's very hard work. We can get there. And I think there's opportunity for that to happen when they come to us. We're just getting them to a place where they can start to scratch that surface and like start to think that way. Opening up these doors and opening up that imagination again, like kind of getting rid of some trauma and heavy stuff that they've having to deal with. And it's just like, okay, we're going to break that open and like see what can shine through. They're only with us for a year, right? So it's not that much time. It's just like we're just getting going. It's kind of hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about what what is your interface with those, like the, the social work, the navigation, and the, um, the lecture series? The social workers work with them on any behavioral things, any job things, any house-related things, mental health, anything that they need. Um, the social workers are there to kind of tap them into community resources. Yeah, the lecture series, it's a two-part lecture series. Right now, because of COVID, like, it went on pause a little bit. 
Um, but we've had had a few lecturers that have been willing to come out and lecture over in Circle. Yep. Um, while they're at the farm, we try and focus on like health and well-being, and then we might do some art and creative writing, and then uh, garden-centric things, farming-centric things. And then while we're at the workshop um, during the winter, when was when we're there, um, we do like job development and digital literacy. Um, yeah, so cover letter writing, resume building, and then we have organizations that we partner with, and they come and lecture. They, you know, they give presentations. We build resumes and cover letters together. We do, you know, getting Google Docs. How do you do this? How do you do that? Like anything you would kind of need to know to just navigate applying for and getting a job. I ask her what it's like when a trainee does not make it through the program, when they fall out of their commitment to the program's ethos for one reason or another. It's really hard when something comes up and they take that turn. There's only so much that we can do, especially like the way it typically looks is like they stop showing up or they show up really not present. And it's hard because we do need to maintain like a safe space and a structured space. And it's hard because it triggers people too. Um, So it's delicate and complicated. And we're just kind of like, look, you need to go and do your thing. You can get in touch with this person, this person, this person. Like, we're always available. Um, It's up to them. And essentially, it's just like when you're ready to come back, come and talk to us. Yeah, so the door never fully closes for situations like that. It's an intense amount of responsibility. But it's been a blessing. And I'm learning so much about myself, which is amazing. And communication, which is awesome. I think it's totally relevant. I think that organic farming and small-scale localized organic farming intersects anyways really naturally with these things. Throughout the day, I speak to trainees between their tasks, weeding and turning early spring crops under, harvesting strawberries, kale, lettuces, beets, and young onions for the afternoon's CSA pickups. Midday, the group, joined by us, enjoys lunch-shared family-style under a covered area in the heart of the garden, not far from the on-site farm stand. Thirty-year-old pear trees run along the side of one garden row in view. Deep blue lavender, ready to harvest and busy with bees and butterflies, including monarchs migrating through, extends out the other view direction. One of the trainees I speak with is Adam, who is about to graduate and shares his story with openness and warmth. Uh, My name's Adam Marshall. Um, I was born in Watsonville, California. Uh, My age is 41. I came here back in September of 2019. Uh, How I came to find it was a county pamphlet where they have... um, resources available for homeless and for the county for medical assistance so I was contemplating on which to go Um, I did parent volunteering for gardening a long time with my kids so I kind of looked at that and I said wow that's probably something that I'd be very interested in doing Mm -hmm. since I was didn't have anywhere else to go at Mm -hmm. that time I came to volunteer on the farm because I wanted something to eat I didn't know there was a program where they get paid you know transitional help so that was a surprise to me. I was really kind of like thinking like, oh, I'll just work and just eat because I, I needed a place to eat, you know. And I 
wanted to work for it. I didn't want just to hand out, like sit on the street or sit in my car and hold a sign and say, hey, I need food. I didn't want to do that. I did volunteer for three weeks before that. Mm -hmm. And uh, Derry, our director of operations, came. And she had about a 15, 20-minute talk with me, um, tell me about uh, friends outside, different resources that were available besides the Homeless Garden Project. And, uh, you know, and uh, they gave me a list of things that where I can go to get shelter, food, uh, clothing, assistance, anything like, you know, gas cards at the Salvation Army, anything like that. Um, so that was a nice resource to have available at that time because I was kind of just shocked. I was in that zoning out mode where I didn't know what to do. When I was young, my grandpa had a dairy farm and uh, that was very instrumental in me my work ethic because he had a 40-acre ranch in Watsonville. So that made my work ethic become, you know, uh, in, you know, intertwined with here, the farm, because I'm used to that type of work. Mm -hmm. um, I did volunteer work for my parents, or, or for my children's school, um, H.H. Hyde in Watsonville. I was about the only parent volunteer that, you know, was helping the garden there, the small garden that we had. And it's kind of the same aspect as the Homeless Garden Project. So... Um, I kind of felt like I fitted in right away with that. I've actually had a ton of things happen as I've been here. I've actually got to do a speech for the Homeless Garden Project and be like an advocate for them. Yep. Um, I've done a, a, a speech in front of the mayor of Santa Cruz and, and the director and how they're expanding to the Poganip, which is going to be a big expansion for the Homeless Garden Project. They're going to have their own place now for, you know, that's a really exciting time. And uh, um, I used to be very shy, very held back from public speaking or anything like that and Derry kind of had confidence in me that you know that I didn't know I had myself. The thing of me with homelessness is that um, it can be very um, very disconcerting it's very hardship uh, when I was out I was very emotional very distressed um, my view of you know I used to have a house and and daily functions of what it's like to be homeless and uh, being homeless is just like a shock to your body and your soul and your well-being and um, for people that are experiencing homelessness I think it's a very traumatic experience there's a lot of mental health with homelessness I see that a lot and uh, um, graduation means I'll be really sad when the day comes I know I'm gonna get emotional I'm always kind of I put so much work into here. I even worked the weekends volunteering my time and trying to do anything I can. Um, in, in my mind, I always have to move my hands. I have to, if I sit too long, I can't function right. I just don't think I'm being productive. So um, for me, having this place is so amazing that I can actually work on the weekend too and help. You know, there's plenty of extra hours and stuff like that. So there's a lot of work to be done here, you know. Um, you know it's, a, it's, 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 it's nice that I can do that and be a help for them. I just love being here. You know, I, if, if I'm not here, there's something wrong. You know, I said, where's that? <laughs> I haven't missed a day almost, so yeah. whatever. You know, I, you know, I know this, this project's a lot bigger than me or anybody else, but, you know, I want to be a part of it. You know, I think it's something that binds a community together. There's even people that are well off and they come here and intermix with the homeless. You know, it's amazing how a community can all come together and, you know, with, with the homeless too. So it's not just, it's just like you don't know if that person's homeless or this person, you don't know their situation at all. You're just gardening next to them and working. 
I also speak with Mike, a graduate of the program and now the crop manager in charge of the seeds, starts, and greenhouse management. I just got to spray this a little bit. Okay. Wet those guys down. What are you planting right now? Saved uh, calendula seed that we just pulled out of the field. Nice. It was very spontaneous. Uh, my name is Mike Erickson, and I was born here in Santa Cruz, California on December 29th of 1965. I've been here since uh, 2008, okay. and I attempt to manage uh, crop production. Where, wherever there's a hole, mm-hmm. I like get in there and fill. Like there was no action in the greenhouse, so here I am. I've got it almost all the way filled up again. You do. You know, and I'm kind of like oversee all like, you know, fertility applications, um, you know, plant outs, just, just, just everything, just kind of to keep driving it forward. This is my improvised list because there was no action in here, and it's coming along really good. And I've got this greenhouse all full of plants, and they're all Your germinating very well. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and a lot of that stuff will, will be fall winter crops that then get rotated into the ground. Yeah, yeah, because we run our CSA through November. Okay. Yeah. When does it start in the spring? Um, like the last week of May or right around the beginning of June. Okay. You know, or sometimes mid, mid-May mid with the two birds uh, scholarship CSA that we're doing today, you know. Yep, yep. I went through the training program when it was, back when it was a three-year program. Okay. But, you know, I started volunteering here and then they kind of just got me in and I just started farming because of my background is uh, um, high-end uh, woodworking and cabinet making in San Francisco. Okay. So... I, I just looked around and I could kind of tell that the the project management and all the kind of like math and everything, it kind of just like overlaid onto this really well. Mm-hmm. So I was able to um, produce all of the crops for the CSA from uh, our site. Mike speaks about the impact of having the garden to come to, to learn in and to grow on from for other people experiencing homelessness as he has. Like emancipating them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's where the magic is here, you know. I mean, homeless people out there, they're really, you know, they're very marginalized, you know. Yeah. And they don't have a lot to do to, like, pull people out of there and put them in this arena where it has so much meaning for them. And community, that's the thing, you know. People join with community. We're all, like, doing something with, like, good energy that promotes, like, health in the community and for the planet and everything like that. Then they feel like really empowered, you know. They come out of the their alienated marginalization, you know, and they they join this, and you know, I mean, it says everything. When you think about like what you do and your own skills, and I love that that like overlay of the fine woodworking and the mathematics of it to the mathematics of the garden. I mean, because it's all kind of sacred geometry in a way. What have been the most, what have been the biggest surprises for you in your own life and growth over these 12 years? A lot of rigidity that I had and black and white thinking has kind of like melted away. And my sense of self is oftentimes, you know, uh, just, just laughably ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. And so um, the garden does that. I think that the garden does that to everybody. Actually. Yeah, you, you, it, it unlocks this perspective where you like see 
like almost through a, a portal in, into like beyond space and time, mm-hmm. you know, um, space becomes infinite yeah. and then time just becomes this massive nowness in, in a very eternal way. And, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of things like attitudes, like I had, a, I had an angry young man thing going on until my mid forties, you know, and, uh, I actually deliberately worked on that a lot, but to kind of no avail really. And this kind of like really helped, helped, uh, soften the edge of that. The consequence of that was like just tremendous, like empowerment. All right, so tell me about your process. You're, you're working with, did you just harvest these calendula seeds? Yeah, Ella came, came by with some, and they were still pretty green. And, and so I went out there and looked at the stand, and, like, lo and behold, there's, like, just all these calendula flower heads with nice, dried, viable seeds. So I just kind of whisked some off, and I've sewed up a couple 72s over there. Tell me your um, medium that you're working with. It's cocoa core and perlite. And we use like a granulated uh, mid-range fertilizer and some oyster shell for calcium and magnesium. Nice. And so you're sowing the seeds. You will grow the flowers for both like ornamental, but also for the medicinal? Yeah, like edible flowers and and some craft for the workshop, you know. One exciting thing is, you know, this is a tremendous year on the planet, Mm. you know. And it was the most coolest phenomenon from everybody having a shelter at home. They didn't have anything to do or whatever. That was part of it. And then everybody started gardening. It's this huge, like, home gardening revolution. You know, I see my neighbors doing it for the first time in their lives. And, you know, it makes me feel like, like really at the forefront of, like, a really good transformative revolution on the planet, you know? And, uh, and I feel really, really grateful to be in the, in the position that I'm in on a daily basis out here doing that, bringing people in who know nothing about it. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. The Homeless Garden Project in Santa Cruz has for 30 years lived into this mission. Quote, in the soil of our urban farm, people find the tools to build a home in the world. End quote. We'll be right back after a break. Stay with us. Okay, so thinking out loud this week. Homelessness in our world is not a simple challenge or problem. It is not simple on the individual's level or on the community and larger culture's level. One of the things that was so rich for me the day John and I visited the HGP in Santa Cruz was to see how beautiful and multifaceted, complex and prismatic, the structure of the Homeless Garden Project's response is. And yet, it's also simple. It's individual people reaching out from where they are with what they have to other individuals, in order to empower and lift them. It is time and labor and emotion intensive. It is not a perfect solution. It is not a silver bullet. It's not super fast and it's not super inexpensive, but it is as human and layered 
and sensitive and fragile as the individual stories of those people who find themselves there experiencing homelessness. And in that, in that complexity and simplicity, there can be slow, steady, painstaking progress, duly noted and celebrated, one life at a time, by one group of individuals coming together to compound their impact in helping another group of otherwise disenfranchised individuals. And that is an age-old story of kindness coupled with creativity to offset another age-old story of lack and loss and letdown. I prefer to follow the storyline of kindness coupled with creativity and the generative possibility of the garden. We're back now to our conversation with the Homeless Garden Project in Santa Cruz, California. In a time of great fear, division, and disconnection, this community and garden-based model of caring wholly for others from the garden out has a lot to teach us all. As we come back, we hear from a final trainee participant, Shadley, before speaking with John Dietz, a retired satellite engineer helping people in the Homeless Garden Project navigate finding housing again. And through a community-held CSA membership, he continues to nourish those newly housed with his help. We finish up again with Executive Director Derry Ganshorn. Yeah, I'm Shadley. Um, I was born here in Santa Cruz, California in 1979. I have been with the Homeless Garden Project since January of 2019, so um, a little over a year and a half. I, wa- I started as a trainee, and then uh, after uh, they had these new positions called crew leads that they were just starting up, and I, I had been a trainee for about four months at that point, and I decided to apply um, to become a crew lead, and I got the job, so they graduated me early. You know, it's kind of cool to feel needed, and like I, like I help out this place a lot, so it's it's cool to know that like they want me and need me here. You know, it's yeah. it's, it's definitely a good feeling. Basically, I, I was incarcerated, and I had been in and out of jail for many years, um, living on the streets, and then going to jail, and getting released to the streets, and going back to jail eventually. And um, I was really and and being addicted to drugs the whole time too. So, uh, but anyway, I was incarcerated in jail. And uh, I knew that I was over it and I wanted to like do something different this time when I got out. Um, so I knew that I was going to be going to a drug treatment facility um, and it happens to be right down the street from here. So, um, And then Derry came into the jail and gave all the inmates a presentation on the Homeless Garden Project. And I was thinking in my head, I was like, well, if I'm going to be going to New Life, which is right over here, then um, I might as well get a job there because it's right down the street and you have to have a job to live in New Life. So it all seemed to make sense in my head, you know. I was trying to find a new way to live. Uh, you know, I didn't know any, I had no gardening background, no farming background whatsoever. Um, you know, I only knew how to do a few things and none of them were healthy. So uh, I had to kind of start over. You know, when I was a kid, uh, it would be like something something my mom and I would always try to do like when summertime came around was we'd go to the nursery and we you know we'd pick out some plants and and we'd have a little spot in the yard where we were going to put them and for some reason I'm pretty sure that I just picked marigolds every year um and so (laughs) I don't know what my obsession was with marigolds but um I just pretty much yeah planted marigolds every summer and then um 
we would end up, you know, forgetting about them or neglecting them, and they would it, the the garden never lasted. <laughs> but we would always try start again every every summer, which was kind of funny. And uh, that's about the extent of my gardening experience. And uh, there's really not much. And um, you know, the, what I do like about it now that I've you know I've been here for a little over a year and a half, and I've um, I've had my other job for about a year, which is I'm cashier at a nursery and customer service and all that. And so one thing I had to do was kind of like learn the basics of plants and, and all that real quick because I just, you know, that's stuff that you got to know when you work on a farm or a nursery. And so, um, I mean, I'm still learning and I don't think I'll ever fully know all no. of it. <laughs> yeah. It just keeps. If we do, we're not telling the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Learning. Exactly. Um, and so, I mean, what I like about, uh, working here on the farm is, um, I love being outdoors every day. Um, even in the rain, even in the pouring rain, I'll be out there with the broad fork, just in my rain suit, getting it. And, you know, I, I, I like that. It, it, I like to, uh, take something that's full of weeds and cover crop or whatever, um, and then cut it all down and flip it all over and then plant it all out. And then, you know, watch from, it's like, it happens so quick in front of your eyes and it's crazy because when I came here, it was a point in my life where I was kind of starting over from scratch in myself as well. And, uh, you know, giving up a whole lifestyle of like darkness, the only thing I really knew how to do. Um, and so I was kind of like starting over myself. And so, you know, flipping all the beds and, you know, getting them all ready and planting them out. And it was like, I was growing with the plants, you know? And, and so, uh, that's the way I like to look at it. And then, so I, I would, you know, often reflect on that like especially like harvest time like my my first harvest time I I felt like crying because it was like well now what am I going to do now that the plants aren't going to be here to grow with like but then I just realized that I could just start over and grow some more <laughs> so but I yeah I remember like the first day we started harvesting and I was like wait a minute like what's going to happen after this like you know it, it, I did like really stop and like contemplate like what was going to go down after that it was kind of funny like everything just came to a halt all of a sudden or something, but I realized that it keeps going on afterwards, so. I ask Shadley what he'd like to do beyond graduation from the Homeless Garden Project. I started up my own little business, um, my graphic design business, and I started, I put up a couple of Craigslist ads and started just taking on customers freelancing and like just taught myself Photoshop and Illustrator and all that. Um, and I just started pumping out graphics and doing beer bottle labels and uh, T-shirt designs and stuff like that. And it actually started working out pretty well. Um, but I was still in my addiction kind of. And uh, so it just, you know, it's always just, you know, you can't, you can't fully take off when you're anchored by drugs. You know, it's like it, it's impossible. I've been taking classes at Cabrillo. Um, for graphic design, digital media stuff. So that's what I'm currently, I'm taking a break for the summer, but I'm going to go back in the fall. And uh, that's what I'm kind of working towards is like either doing skateboard art or just running, uh, starting my, my business back up again. You know, I spent for basically the first 40 years of my life like um, addicted to drugs and alcohol and uh, just not really taking life too seriously and um, not respecting myself the way I should and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, at a, at a pivotal time in my life when I finally, like, realized that I was ready and I didn't want to do that anymore and, like, for the first time I, I was over it, you know, and, and I had I'd, I'd always said I wanted to stop or I wanted to do, to, to do things right, but, like, I had never actually wanted it inside of myself until this, until this time. And so... Um, 
you know, dairy came into my life right at the exact perfect time where it was, uh, I was desperately searching for another way. And, uh, this place basically, yeah, it it saved my life, you know, and it, it, uh, gave me a, a healthy place to go and a healthy, healthy people to surround myself with because it's, that's super important when you're going through something like that, because all you're, all you want to do is just turn back to where, you know, turn back to where, you know, and where you're familiar with. And, and, uh, just the fact that like the unconditional love and like the whole, like, just, you know, it's really the whole supportive network that that goes along with this place is just out of control. And it's like, if I didn't have that in my life at that point, I wouldn't have made it. Finally, in the late afternoon, John and I are there for the Feed Two Birds CSA pickups. This is when local nonprofits who purchase CSA shares of boxes of fruit and vegetables and flowers share them forward with their community. Like the local hospice who will pick up the 21 floral bouquets Ella told us about earlier. During the pickup time, I have the chance to speak with John Dietz, who shares his story about helping the Homeless Garden Project from the outside. Uh, well, a uh, little bit of a background. Um, I manage a volunteer housing uh, navigators. It's about five of us, and we're all volunteers. And that started at about 2012. And... Uh, We have, um, since then, we have housed, just to give a little credibility to this, we've housed 70 chronically homeless individuals in that time frame over about eight years. So we house about 10 people a year. Uh, The connection with the uh, Homeless Garden uh, Project started in about two years after we started to house people. Two things happened. We found that we were having a little bit of a problem with retention and we needed a connection back to the people that we housed. So by retention, you mean people actually staying in the homes that you got for them, right. the housing you got for them. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And and basically that, that was a result of people losing connection with case management, management and um, uh, just generally the community. Yeah. Uh, Derry then approached the 180, it was called the 180-180 program at that time, uh, with an idea of forming a partnership where we would provide food, produce from her garden uh, to the people that we housed. And we thought that was a stellar idea. And it turns out (laughs) that that was the mechanism that really connected us with the people that we housed. Yeah. Because we've... We didn't know what to offer right. these individuals. And fresh produce, organically grown, was just the perfect enabler. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it just actually fit. So the concept was that we would pick so many people, depending on the amount of foods uh, that were supplied, and the number turned out to be 15. We're now up to 19 uh, housed uh, formerly homeless people. And uh, it... It worked as an entree to start a communication with them, but also they would invite us into their housing. And that way we could observe if there were any major changes, if they were having difficulty, but we then provided the connection to the community. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it has worked ever since. We've saved a lot of people from getting evictions, uh, we don't necessarily perform the case management part ourselves, but we connect them to either their 
previous case managers or whatever services that they had that uh, kept them stable. So the whole idea is to maintain the stabilization. Right, right. And that and the food, food and community are keystones. Yeah. Yes. So how did you get involved in this work? Like what made you start to be a housing navigator eight years ago? Um, about uh, 15, 20 years ago, I have a, uh, uh, a family member, let's, let's call him, and uh, he became homeless. He was homeless for 15 years. Wow. He fitted out a van, put a solar paddle on the van, had a shower, everything, so he's self-contained. But then the van broke down, and he truly was uh, just in a, in a truck stop. So um, long story short, I was able to find him housing. And this is about... Uh, uh, 2008, 2009, when the har- housing market really yeah. was on the oh, slide, yeah. Yeah. found him some uh, rel- relatively inexpensive place to live, bought the place. The family got the funds together, and we bought the place. And after about three to four months, he just became totally stabilized, caused him to be on the outside of society. And once he became housed, it it was a lifestyle that completely changed. He engaged. He started to connect with the neighborhood, became connected with the community, and uh, really was is and is now leading a fruitful life. Yeah. Just so, given that, a thing called the 180-180 program put an ad out for people to do survey of homeless individuals, and I yeah. thought, well, all right. I've done this thing with the, the family member. I probably can support them. And uh, I got myself engaged with uh, the 180, uh, 180, uh, 180 program. And it turns out they were connected with a nonprofit called the Homeless Services Center. Uh, I got more involved because I felt that I had the ability to work, not the case management, but the housing end. Yeah. And... Again, there seemed to be a disconnect between case management and uh, landlords and and property managers that they just really didn't have, the case managers really didn't have the skills to make this connection and make yeah. it work. And, and the basic thing here is the case managers are more transformational. Yeah. They work with that part. Uh, my background... Um, uh, I'm more of, tra- of a transactional person. Okay. So I could relate more to the business side yep. with the landlords and then provide that support to the, uh, to the case managers and, and primarily to the participants in the program. Right. And it all really comes down to a matter of trust. Yeah. So as a business person approaching the landlord, there was a trust that was built up yep. uh, because of my credentials in, in the business. Um, working with the clients, working with the participants, I built up a trust with the case manager. So I was able to make this connection. And it, it sounds like that personal experience for you with the family member and the like unbelievably powerful like effect it had to have that one piece fixed um, like left you in a place where you understood the effect, the, like the impact you could have with just even a small adjustment in someone's, what seems like a small adjustment, but yeah. it changed everything. Yes. Um, and it really takes patience. And a lot of times the case managers 
don't really have the time, like they have 45 minutes with a client. Right. Well, you can't really spend 45 minutes to work the housing part. You, uh, I, I would say the average number of uh, uh, open houses that we go to are anywhere from 8 to 12 before we really land that connection. It's a fit between what the client really wants and the neighborhood, our assessment of that neighborhood, working that back with the case manager to see if this is going to work, and then will the landlord really accept this person uh, right. as as a uh, a paying tenant? Right, right. So that's that's really that's uh, that's the heart of it. A lot of the people that were homeless that we work on actually had their start here when mm. they came off the street, yeah. and they were able to work in a field, get close to nature, and build up their self-esteem. And that is a huge step. You really can't take a person that's been living in a tent that is so ground down in in terms of their ability to function yeah. in the community and just lease them up right. in, in a couple of weeks. It's just impossible. There has to be some kind of a bridge. This is the bridge. Uh, currently, uh, as we speak, I'm working on housing a person that went through this process and um, had some very... Uh, we call stressful behavioral issues, um, spent a little time uh, incarcerated, now has come out of that, worked on the farm, got her self-esteem back, and she is one of the most delightful <laughs> participants I've ever had to work with. You, you look at the numbers of the total population who are homeless, and then you look at the number that you can house, and then the number you can feed beyond that, it sometimes seems daunting. How do you how do you handle that dauntingness, John? Uh, from the emotional success of housing just one person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and and I get emotional about that, and yeah. it, I I think that's that's what drives me. Yeah. Uh, when you just see the change, even walking in through the front door. Yeah. Uh, uh, the first person I housed uh, when I did this, uh, we went through something like. 12 different uh, showings. He was getting discouraged. I was getting, so I kind of changed my pitch a little bit and had him talk more about who he was, and it worked. And when we got the key to the house, I asked the landlord to give me the key so I could walk him in. This man walked up to the counter, rubbed his hand on the counter surface, and said, This is my home. Oh. oh. <laughs> uh, I get I get that feeling every time. So I'm not really in the numbers game. I'm yeah. more in what can I do to encourage other people to join me in in my group. Uh, probably more importantly, to encourage landlords to open yeah. up the door because these individuals are our neighbors. Seventy-two to seventy-five percent of the homeless in this county were born, raised, educated in this county. So they're our neighbors. They are human beings, and they just need to have some respect. Yeah. So it, it's, it's that drive. Well, I don't know your audience, but what I would say is even if you happen to walk by and see a homeless person, just don't look the other way. Please don't look the other way. 
look the person in the eye and say hello or good morning. And that just may turn that individual's thinking about his or her own self-esteem. It may just turn that around and have that person engage the community a little bit more to find housing. And we end back with some final thoughts on the program and its impact from Executive Director Derry Ganshorn. We're looking for certain qualities that make you a good fit for our program. And there are three. One is we want to work with people who want to use this project to get into a job and housing. And now some people really don't want those things, and that's fine with us. But this is our focus. We're working with people who want to get jobs in housing. If someone wants that, um, then we want that they, um, in pursuing those goals, have encountered obstacles or are finding challenges in meeting that goal. Um, And then the third thing is, you know, we really see how important the community is in helping people to succeed in meeting those goals. So we're looking for people who um, want to make a contribution to the community, a positive contribution. And the way that looks, um, it turns out to be about keeping agreements, um, showing up, and um, investing in the community, investing in their own success as much as they're in, as we're investing in their success. We do um, tell people that they can't come to work when they're drunk, high, or hungover. Um, and we are working with many people who are in recovery. What we're finding is that the rules of showing up and the rules of being able to get your, get your work done during the day are sort of a natural, almost like guardrail or speed limit, you know, it, it can help somebody see like, yeah, I guess I really need to be sober to do this. It's, it's not really going to work for me to try to dabble on the side. You know, addiction is definitely a part of the issues that the people we're serving are struggling with. We're not a treatment program. We're a really good place for people who are in recovery who want to um, commit to their recovery and move back out into the world and become productive contributing members. You know, we do hope that um, people will be able to stay and work through the whole year with us. But somebody relapses while they're working with us, we would rather that they leave, you know, and come back when they're ready to really take, take advantage of what the program has to offer. It's a very precious thing, the community that we have at the Homeless Garden Project and um, the way that people who are so different are brought in and accepted and welcomed and the way that people who have something to give um, have an opportunity to give and get, you know, get that beautiful experience of just how good it feels to give. And the the movement in and out, you know, somebody new coming in. Um, I just sat today with one of our um, crew leads. Um, these are trainees who have been asked to take on additional responsibility as supervisors. And this person um, 
is just so dear and has grown so much in his time at the project, just gave two weeks notice because he has gotten a full-time job um, working at a local business. Uh, he decided to take the job because he just got an apartment and wants to make sure he's going to have enough income for rent. On the outside, enormous change and um, on the inside, also lots of emotional and spiritual growth. He talked this morning at Circle about how important it was to him to have structure. He talked about being in a rehab program and, you know, those were important parts of his recovery, but he said that what really made a difference was his time at the Homeless Garden Project, that he had some time to make change and to practice living these new changes and to grow confident in himself and um, how valuable the structure and the accountability were. You know, I think that one thing that we haven't really spoken about that I feel really called to mention here on uh, Cultivating Place is how central the garden is to our model and to the work that we do in the community, the work that we do with our trainees, all of the healing that takes place. And our mission statement starts out with it. In the soil of our urban farm and garden, people find the tools they need to build a home in the world. And it really is getting at, there is something, some kind of grace, some kind of mystery that happens when we work with the land. There's something about understanding some of these really basic principles about how life works and returning to those principles. Um, you know, we may think that we can distance ourselves from them, but I think when we do that, it comes at a price. When trainees get to tend to something and to nurture life, that's a very healing and powerful activity. When any of us um, plant a seed, you know, that is a statement of hope. It is, you can't plant a seed without believing in, in a future. When a trainee tends a, a plant and, and then actually harvests food and sustains others and themselves with the fruits of their labor, ha has such a tangible outcome from the labor that they've contributed. That's a very strong reinforcement for the value that they have in this world, that their contribution matters. And then there's just something about the farm that when people are there on the farm, it brings out the best in people and it brings people together. It, it emphasizes opportunities to work towards a common goal. It de-emphasizes conflicts and differences that we might have. Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today and for your work in this world, Derry, with the Homeless Garden Project down there in Santa Cruz being a real model for, for us all. Aw, thank you. The Homeless Garden Project in Santa Cruz, California is 30 years old. For all of those years, the HGP has nourished and invested in community, in the earth and in the environment and their local food system. The Homeless Garden Project's current working farm is Natural Bridges Farm, located on the west side of Santa Cruz near Natural Bridges State Park. 
There and through their CSA, you can buy fresh organic vegetables, herbs, and flowers. In the online or physical stores in Santa Cruz, you can find lovely, fragrant, and delicious products made by the Homeless Garden Project workshop training. The project's, quote, evolution has been gradual, building on successes and paying attention to what works, end quote. As of this year, the project has been approved to cultivate the historic Poganip Greenbelt property in the heart of Santa Cruz. This new farm will continue to serve as a national model, to triple the job training capacity through a public-private partnership and provide long-term stability for the program to thrive. I love their mission, and I think it suits most of us. In the soil of our gardens, we find the tools to build and nourish a better home in the world. Join us again next week when we speak with British gardener and psychiatrist Sue Stewart-Smith, whose book, The Well-Gardened Mind, explores her many years of research and findings on the physiology of the brain and the creativity and connections cultivated in the brain when gardening. Listen in next week. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio and listeners supported through CultivatingPlace.com. To read and see more about the Homeless Garden Project and its community, head to the podcast tab at CultivatingPlace.com. While you're there, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, which always has extended notes from me and so you never miss an episode. Our show producer and engineer is Matt Fiddler. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Places distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.